You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to earth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. The Russ Belleville Show. The voice of the marijuana nation. It's like marijuana ought to be legalized. Good people smoke marijuana. Now, here's your host, Radical Russ Belleville. Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-token lover of liberty. It is Monday, March 27th, 2017, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's episode number 913, and coming up on today's show, in the news, Canada's liberal government is set to announce legalization will happen on July 1st, 2018. In our Cannabis Focus, Arizona Pharma Company that fought legalization gets a new synthetic marijuana drug approved. In our Drug War Data Mining, Canada's cannabis stocks are soaring on the news of the new legalization date. Our guest today is Dr. Mitch Earlywine with reviews of some of the latest cannabis science. And in the Radical Rant, Governor Chris Christie has been appointed to head a federal opioid drug epidemic task force. Then in hour two, we find our past guests, Drs. Joe Schrank and Amanda Ryman, in the New York Times story on cannabis-assisted rehab for opioid dependence. But first, let's get to the news. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Now your marijuana headlines in four minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis News. This is your Cannabis Headline News for Monday, March 27th, 2017. The Liberal government will announce legislation next month that will legalize marijuana in Canada by July 1st, 2018. CBC News has learned that the legislation will be announced during the week of April 10th and will broadly follow the recommendation of a federally appointed task force that was chaired by former Liberal Justice Minister Anne McClellan. Bill Blair, the former Toronto police chief who has been stick-handling the marijuana file for the government, briefed the Liberal caucus on the rollout plan and the legislation during caucus meetings this weekend, according to a senior government official who spoke to CBC News on condition of anonymity. While Ottawa will set a minimum age of 18 to buy marijuana, the provinces will have the option of setting a higher age limit if they wish. As for Canadians who want to grow their own marijuana, they will be limited to four plants per household. Utah's governor has signed off on a bill that allows research into the risks and benefits of medical marijuana. On Saturday, Republican Governor Gary Herbert approved the legislation after lawmakers shied away from passing a broad medical marijuana program during the recently completed session. The proposal from Republican Representative Brad Daw of Orem has been endorsed by the Utah Medical Association, which says more study needs to be done on the drug before the state approves its broader use as a medicine. Medical marijuana advocates in Utah say they are planning to try to get an initiative on the November 2018 ballot that would allow the drug to be used for treatment. Utah lawmakers have tried to pass broad medical pot laws during the past three consecutive sessions. House lawmakers in Vermont are expected to vote on a measure to legalize the use and possession of small amounts of marijuana for adults. It was uncertain if the measure would pass out of the House Judiciary Committee last week, but the bill passed 8-3 to during an unscheduled vote last Wednesday. The full House will take a vote on the measure in the coming days. The bill would make it legal for adults to possess up to one ounce of pot and two plants under the measure, but does not create a regulatory system for selling and taxing pot. 
South Carolina Representative Eric Bedingfield once shunned all marijuana use, but when his eldest son's six-year struggle with opioid addiction ended with his overdose a year ago, the conservative Republican co-sponsored medical cannabis legislation, saying, quote, My mindset has changed from somebody who looked down on it as a negative substance to saying, this has benefits, end quote, Bedingfield said recently. The 50-year-old teetotaler believes marijuana may effectively wean addicts from an opioid dependence. Ultimately, the Marine veteran hopes medical marijuana can be an alternative to people being prescribed OxyContin or other opioid painkillers to begin with, helping curb an epidemic he's seen destroy families of all economic levels. Three years ago, state lawmakers passed a very narrow law allowing patients with severe epilepsy or their caregivers to legally possess cannabidiol, or CBD, a non-psychoactive oil derived from marijuana. Bettingfield voted against that idea. Colorado is considering an unusual strategy to protect its nascent marijuana industry from a potential federal crackdown, even at the expense of hundreds of millions of dollars in tax collections. A bill pending in the legislature would allow pot growers and retailers to reclassify their recreational pot as medical pot if a change in federal law or enforcement occurs. The bill would allow Colorado's 500 or so licensed recreational pot growers to instantly reclassify their weed. A switch would cost the state more than $100 million a year because Colorado taxes medical pot much more lightly than recreational weed, 2.9% versus 17.9%. But it's unclear whether the measure could pass the full Colorado Senate or the Democratic House. Skeptics of the proposal doubt the classification change would do much more than cost Colorado tax money. Marijuana advocates are trying to lay the groundwork for Illinois to become the first state in the Midwest and the ninth nationwide to legalize recreational pot. Two Illinois state lawmakers introduced legislation last week that would allow residents 21 and older to possess, grow, or buy up to an ounce of marijuana and licensed businesses to sell marijuana products subject to regulation. Lawmakers say it would help fill Illinois' multi-billion dollar budget hole with at least $350 million in new tax revenue. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Monday, March 27th, 2017. I'm Russ Belville. In the interest of fair and balanced journalism, the Russ Belville Show presents the anti-drug public service announcement of the day. What's bugging you, Murphy? Drugs. Drugs bug me. Hi. That was Nancy Allen and me. I'm Peter Weller, the guy behind that mask. If you're a kid, please listen for a second. How do you keep away from drugs? They're everywhere, sometimes even at home. But there is one place you can go that is 100% drug-free. No pot, no pills, no crack, no smack, no coke, no exceptions. The Boys and Girls Club. It beats the streets. No kidding. This has been the Russ Belleville Show's anti-drug public service announcement of the day, exclusively on RadicalRust.com. The Russ Belleville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. 
You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. We have four times the incarceration rate on a percentage basis of any country in the world. And second place is New Zealand. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we take a look at Big Pharma, and specifically, we're taking a look at a company called Insys Therapeutics. They are an Arizona-based drug manufacturer, and their number one product is a fentanyl spray called Subsys. Now, we all know about the opioid epidemic that's been ravaging this country, and fentanyl, of course, is one of those drugs that is at the top of the list. 50 times more powerful than morphine, uh, this fentanyl more powerful than Oxycontin and Vicodin. It's one of the most powerful opioid painkillers out there. This company, Insys, is one of the leading manufacturers of that killer opioid. And they also rose to our attention in the 2016 election. You'll recall that we had five states that were voting on statewide marijuana legalization. And of those five, only one failed to pass. California, Nevada, Maine, and Massachusetts all managed to pass their initiatives, but Arizona and their Proposition 205 failed just barely with about 48% support. This campaign was notable because of the incredibly large contribution given by Insys Therapeutics to the opponents, the campaign opposing the Proposition 205 in Arizona. Insys Therapeutics donated a half million dollars to oppose marijuana legalization in the state of Arizona where it resides. And that half million dollars helped to buy ads that helped to sink the Proposition 205 in Arizona. Now, this was already notable because it's a fentanyl manufacturer opposing marijuana legalization. And we understand from anecdote and from survey now that the use of marijuana, the access to marijuana reduces the amount of opioid painkillers that are prescribed, reduces the amount of opioid deaths that occur, reduces the number of people seeking treatment for opiate dependence. So it was already a conflict of interest. It was already a bit suspect that Insys Therapeutics would donate a half million dollars to fight against the legal marijuana that would reduce the demand for its fentanyl spray subsist. But now it turns out there's a much more sinister reason why they donated a half million dollars to fight legalizing marijuana because it would compete with another product they are making and that has now been given approval by the FDA. Uh, Insys has been making this subsys fentanyl spray. They also make a brand new product that's in development called Syndros. Syndros is a liquid synthetic THC product. 
So think of it like Marinol pills, Dronabinol, the, the generic name of that, or your Sesamet, uh, Nabilone, the generic name for that. Those drugs have been Schedule three drugs for quite a long time. Syndros, this new synthetic oral liquid THC, has just received approval on March 23rd. The DEA, I'm saying they already approved, they were already approved by the FDA. Got to get my initials right. The FDA had already said, yeah, go ahead. This will be fine. This will be a great medicine. And the DEA announced just last Friday that it will be classified as a Schedule II controlled substance. Now, they argued it had to be put up in Schedule II rather than Schedule Three, like Marinol or Sesamet are, because there is a high potential for abuse. According to the DEA, because this is in a liquid, this synthetic THC is suspended in a liquid, it is possible for users to be able to find ways to smoke or vaporize that or to be able to extract the synthetic THC from the liquid itself to increase its potency. And therefore, by the DEA's estimation, that leads to a high potential for abuse, a much higher potential for abuse than what you'd get out of a Marinol pill. However, they're still saying that this synthetic THC This liquid oral synthetic THC is scheduled to, meaning it's safer than the plant itself, than herbal cannabis, which they still refuse to admit has any sort of medical properties. Now, if Insys Therapeutics goes ahead and makes a synthetic THC and puts it in an oral uh, preparation that can have a barcode and a specific dosage, why then, then it becomes a medicine, at least according to the DEA. Now, Insys, uh, in addition to donating a half a million dollars to help defeat legalization last year in Arizona, and they said, when they did that, they said, quote, it fails to protect the safety of Arizona's citizens, particularly its children, end quote. Well, it's nice to know that uh, Insys is so concerned about the safety of citizens out there. It's good to know that a big pharma company wouldn't want to see people getting addicted and dying from those opiates that they sell. Oh, wait, wait, let's look back a little bit. Back in December, the former CEO of Insys and six other former top executives, as reported by Vice News and Keegan Hamilton, were arrested and accused of bribing doctors, defrauding insurance companies, and fueling America's opioid crisis. Federal prosecutors in Massachusetts say the company paid hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of bribes and kickbacks to doctors who operated pain clinics in exchange for the physicians prescribing the company's fentanyl spray to non-cancer patients. See, this fentanyl spray, this uh, substance they've been making, was specifically designed for cancer pain, for cancer patients in extreme pain. And incest was found by Massachusetts and other states. My own state of Oregon is another one of them. Connecticut is another one that nailed incest for these practices of bribes and kickbacks to doctors to get them to prescribe off-label as not directed to non-cancer patients an opioid 50 times more powerful than morphine. Now, they've pleaded not guilty to these charges. A trial date has not been set yet. But uh, this uh, caused a severe, a severe blow to this company's 
stock price, when those arrests were made last year, their stock price plummeted. But guess what? Now that uh, DEA has announced that their new synthetic THC will be scheduled to, their stock price has rebounded. And one analyst is calling it, quote, the best marijuana stock on the market right now, end quote. I'm so glad that Vice News is taking a look at this. I hope it makes it to their Vice News uh, television productions so the more people will learn about this and the insidious nature of the entanglements and the conflicts of interest between FDA, DEA, and the big pharmaceutical companies. They don't have our health, welfare, and safety in their first primary mindset. It all has to do with the bottom line. It all has to do with them making profits for their shareholders. That's why they're bribing doctors. That's why they're trying to get more people hooked on these opiates. And it further underscores a a need for a radical restructuring, a radical rethinking of how we deal with drugs and healthcare in in this country. We've got a system set up that rewards companies like Insys for getting people hooked on opiates. We got a system that rewards them for developing synthetic THC and opposing the natural alternative that would solve both problems, that would solve the problem, help solve the problem of the opiate epidemic and help deal with people who who are dealing with pain currently. But of course, that would hurt Insys's bottom line. That would hurt the shareholders bottom line. We've got a system now that has prioritized profit over people. We've got a system now where companies are incentivized to look away from cheap, sustainable, natural options for healthcare and to continue to develop synthetic artificial options that maintain your status, but don't cure your problem. Something that forces you to keep coming back to the dealer day after day after day. It's sad when we see so many of our opponents and so many people who, are, who hate marijuana use, who characterize the so-called black market as predators, as people that are trying to hook people to make profit off of addiction. We hear Project Sam talk about this all time, all the time with big marijuana, you know, big tobacco 2.0, big marijuana wants to get people addicted, but not a word for companies like Insys that are purposefully trying to addict people. Insys and these other pharmaceutical manufacturers are doing exactly what Kevin Sabet and Project Sam claims big marijuana is trying to do. Yet you don't hear much from them about that, do you? We're talking about a marijuana industry that's close to $7 billion gross in this country versus pharmaceutical industries that profit One company can profit $7 billion in a year. If you really want to help the health and safety of American citizens, take a look at the pharmaceutical industry. Take a look at how many commercials you see a night, not just for new drugs that sound like somebody dumped a bunch of Scrabble tiles and arranged seven of them to make a name. God, it's like the drugs now, Zeljans. That's like an 80-point Scrabble word, isn't it? Drugs that continually show up about six to 12 months later as some sort of class action lawsuit ad where the lawyers are saying, did you take this drug or that drug? You can get a a, a settlement 
Every single one of those ads for a lawyer going up against a pharmaceutical or a medical device is something the FDA approved. Let's get out of here. I have some really good weed back at the hotel. Yeah, FDA approval. Every day I see commercials for stuff that the FDA once approved as safe, but now somebody's suing because it killed them or hurt them severely. And yet marijuana, not a single death in over 7,000 years of recorded history. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll take a look at the Canadian cannabis stocks and how they're doing on the news of legalization. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. And the crime, and the gangs, and the drugs. This American carnage stops right now. All right. Well, maybe you're high, too. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Data Mines, we take a look at some information from Bloomberg, which is reporting on the results of Canadian stock prices following the announcement from the Liberal government that they will be introducing legislation in the week of April 10th. We are just uh, two weeks away from the Canadian government introducing legislation that will legalize marijuana in the Great White North by July 1st, 2018. That's news from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Now, the government is officially declining to comment on the timeline that uh, was reported by CBC, but it does look like this spring they'll introduce legislation to legalize marijuana by next summer, in Canada. And of course, the other news that's interesting about that is that the federal legislation will set the Canadian marijuana age at 18 years old, as it should be, though the provinces will each individually get to decide where they set their marijuana age. Now, I anticipate that most provinces are going to set their marijuana age at 21. Or perhaps 19. There's a couple of uh, Canadian provinces where there's a 19-year-old drinking age. They may make it try to match the drinking age. There is a desire by lawmakers to want to make the age for cannabis the same as or higher than the age for alcohol. I wish they'd do that the other way around. Make the age for cannabis lower. Incentivize young people, college-age people, to try marijuana rather than alcohol. But we'll take what we can get. 
Well, now that we've got this news in Canada, Bloomberg is taking a look at some of the stocks in Canada. Now, it's important to remember, Canada has federal medical marijuana, so they've got national companies in Canada that have been up and running for a few years now and whose shares can be traded on the Canadian stock exchanges. The Canopy Growth Company is one. Uh, They are the first Canadian company that has a market value of over 1 billion Canadian dollars. They, uh, their shares rose 11% in intraday uh, trading in Toronto. The biggest gain they've seen since last November, November 2016, when the news of the American elections helped boost these Canadian stocks. Canopy Growth deals with uh, uh, leasing land and, and warehouses and such to uh, licensed growers. Aurora Cannabis Inc. also gained about 11% on the news of legalization. Afria Inc. rose 6.5% and Organigram Holdings jumped 10%. The value of these Canadian stocks have soared and there's all sorts of optimism among investors now. They say the Canadian market, this is according to uh, Canaccord Genuity Group, says that the Canadian market could reach $6 billion in sales by 2021 if it starts by early 2018 canopy growth share price has risen 300 percent in the past 12 months and aurora's has risen 400 percent in the past 12 months now down here in the states we're getting investment analysts that are also very bullish very optimistic about the prospects of american marijuana companies despite the interference that could come by way of the Trump administration, the Jeff Sessions Department of Justice. They uh, folks like Troy Dayton at Arcview are saying that the marijuana movement's too popular. There's too much money to be made, too many jobs to be had, too much political capital to be lost. The DEA and Department of Justice don't have the resources, etc. If I uh, were to offer you some advice, and by all means, I'm no a financial analyst in any sort of way. But if I were looking for those investments, I'd be looking to Canada for a safer place to put your money than any of these American companies. We don't know what's going to happen from Jeff Sessions and the Department of Justice, but it looks like Canada is moving forward. And with the liberals in power for at least the next couple of years, I think with both a countrywide legalization and governmental support, you're going to be safer investing in those Canadian stocks Canopy Growth, Aurora Cannabis, Afria, Organigram, and so forth than the ones here in the United States. Now, we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, Again, the folks like uh, Troy Dayton, Arcview Group, and others uh, who are on the investment side of things really don't believe that there's much to these threats, much to the the discussion by Sessions and others. Uh, They feel like they've got far more pressing issues on their plate with immigration and terrorism and guns and won't want to spend the capital going after cannabis because they just don't have the manpower. We recalled last week some ways that the federal government could go after the legal cannabis industry that wouldn't take much manpower whatsoever. A few letters to be typed up to the state's attorneys general, a few letters to be typed up to some Uh, some landlords that are renting out, some companies that are leasing out to the legalized marijuana industries would be all that it takes to to send a shockwave through our entire industry and to start closing up some of those investor wallets. 
That's what I think the cannabis industry is afraid of. And that's why I think some of the leaders in the cannabis industry, especially on the financial end of things, are trying to paint a picture that's rosier than what it really is. They're trying to make the reality by keeping all the investors wallets open, by keeping them optimistic, by feeding them information that may not be telling them the entire story. Of course, investment's all about risk. And if you want to risk your money in American cannabis right now during the Trump administration, please do. But just don't go into it ignorant. Don't go into it thinking everything is going to continue along all nice and easy like it has under the Obama administration because I sincerely believe that is not going to be the case. I don't think they can stop us, but I do think they can slow us down. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got Dr. Mitch Earlywine covering some of the latest in cannabis science. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, FiredUpLawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer. Or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. At least they aim you to say that. You're a loony. A public service message from the Russ Belleville Show. State University of New York at Albany. And a leading author and researcher on cannabinoids and health. Who pins the Ask Dr. Mitch column for High Times Magazine. Welcome back, everybody. Time for our cannabis Q and A with Dr. Mitch. And uh, Dr. Mitch, how are you doing today? I'm freezing my ass off. How are you doing? <laughs> it's pretty cold up there in the Northeast. Uh, we uh, hope you got to <laughs> keep yourself warm up there. Uh, our question lines are open. We've got two different chat rooms now because we're on YouTube as well. So I'm, I'm watching both YouTube and the uh, cannabis radio stream. And my apologies to the listeners out there who uh, I pushed the wrong mute. And uh, they were on mute there for uh, the, the commercial break. But uh, we do have a question. <laughs> That's such a new setup, Dr. Mitch. I got so many buttons and stuff to push. Oh, my God. But anyway, we had a question. I need that to... button for faculty meeting. <laughs> there we go. We have a uh, question already, though, coming from one of the chat rooms uh, that wants to ask, can we finally acknowledge that CBD equals hemp uh, as far as when, they, when, they, when it comes to the uh, – when it comes to the Controlled Substances Act, when it comes to uh, regulating it, that it should be treated like hemp. Is that something uh, that you see on the horizon? I mean, that makes perfect sense to me, but unfortunately, CBD is still a, a cannabinoid and, and unfortunately gets confused with 
psychoactive marijuana and thus ends up uh, part of that Schedule 1 mishmash. I know that there are websites saying we're, we're legal in all 50 states, but un- unfortunately that's, that's really not the case. I think it should be the case, but I think THC should be legal in all 50 states, so maybe I'm not the guy to ask. All right. And uh, it doesn't look like we'll get any favorable movement in the right direction under this administration. It looked like Obama's administration was kind of moving that way. But uh, we're just getting a lot of drug war rhetoric out of the Trump administration. What What are your feelings on what you've seen so far in these first three weeks? Uh, given how much random stuff has happened, I'm trying to be prepared for anything. But I, I don't see Jeff Sessions suddenly saying, hey, CBD sounds good to me. Just feel free to put it in the mail. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. All right, let's take a look at some of the studies and uh, surveys that have uh, come across the desk here over the past week. One of these, uh, I, I got this uh, information through uh, Michael Kravitz, who works with Veterans for Medical Cannabis Access, and he was pointing out how they were trying to add post-traumatic stress to Colorado's medical marijuana law and how the people from Project SAM we're using this new study out of Yale University that supposedly says that uh, there are worse outcomes for PTSD patients who use cannabis medically to treat those symptoms. I know it's not never been your number one uh, go-to as far as PTSD goes, but what do we make of this study? Well, so unfortunately, it's it's more complicated than they're pretending. What's really happened here is there's a subset of folks who are at the VA trying to get treatment for PTSD, and they're having a really hard time, and what a surprise for us. The ones who are having the hardest time are the ones who end up turning to cannabis. So I'm afraid this isn't a sign that cannabis is making PTSD worse so much as it is a sign that folks with the worst PTSD may be turning to cannabis. I unfortunately am in a weird situation because I have a a client right now who's a vet who's really good about showing up to exposure sessions without uh, smoking anything during the daytime, but he does use cannabis at night to help him sleep, and he's doing great right now. I feel like the overextension of cannabis as a cure-all has been a problem, but also this wicked dichotomizing about cannabis being completely inappropriate is also uh, incorrect as well. We have a call coming in on our phone lines, but I don't know that I can pick this one up and keep you on the line, so I'm going to have to decline it for now. I haven't worked out that kink, and I'm not quite ready to, I don't think. Uh, Let's go on to our next study here, which uh, is... It's not really a study. It's more uh, your thoughts on what we've seen out of a couple of studies recently uh, in that uh, we've seen the decline in the teen use of just about all drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes. And I'm just wondering, what are the factors that lead kids to want to try or not try drugs? What is leading to this decline? Uh, Is it the legalization of marijuana or are there other factors involved? Well, so what's funny is before anybody even had, you know, medical cannabis on the books, there were some standard predictors of use, and it was almost always availability and perceived harm. And I think what we thought was going to happen is, oh, more and more people will have access to cannabis, people will see that it's not very harmful for adults, and unfortunately then the teens are going to jump in there and we're going to all be in trouble, oh no. In fact, teens have been surprising us with their intelligence and their ability to make sense of data, 
And I think the fact that we are saying, hey, there are definite medical uses for cannabis has improved our credibility. So then when we have, you know, Stacey Gruber or somebody like that say, you know what, maybe teen use isn't such a great idea. Check out uh, these brain structure data on the folks who start using heavily early in life. They're listening and they're saying, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll wait it out. It'll be okay. And there's something about taking away that rebellious forbidden fruit quality of it that I think may be uh, helping out. So when uh, cannabis becomes like uh, mom and dad's Chardonnay, it's just not as exciting anymore. Sad but true. All right. Let's uh, take a look at this story that was uh, appeared on weednews.co about uh, the access to marijuana leading to less use of alcohol and pills. Uh, this is referencing some data from that ease uh, the marijuana delivery service in California, but uh, we've seen this as far as uh, opioids go. But is this a is this a trend now to extend broader into alcohol and and drugs in general? Well, so we've seen it go both ways with alcohol, and uh, some large economics uh, data sets have gone uh, both that alcohol increases with medical uh, availability and that alcohol decreases. I'm not sure exactly how this crew gathered their data. So this is sort of the delivery service gang that um, basically can can make it so you can get marijuana uh, to your house in in California. I can't imagine they really have any reason to to make this up one way or another. It certainly makes sense to me that uh, hard drug use would drop when you've got cannabis available, particularly given the, the quality of cannabis we have now. And we have seen these really impressive decreases in uh, opiate-related overdoses from that 2014 JAMA study we talked about before. So I've got to admit this. This is certainly consistent with other stuff we've seen, and I I hope it uh, really will replicate. There could be some worry that uh, if it it does replicate, we might get more uh, opposition from pharmaceutical and alcohol industries when we try to legalize elsewhere. Well, I know they hate the truth, but we're just going to have to hope it wins out. That's right. All right. Uh, there was a study that came out from UC Davis uh, on California medical marijuana that showed there were some molds, there was some contamination on these products. And California, while they're working on their testing standards and getting that up to par, they're, they're not there yet. Of course, consumers in unregulated states have no chance of it being a tested product. So what can consumers out there do to protect themselves from tainted marijuana? What are some of the signs? How, what are some of the warning signs? I mean, I hate to say it. The thing we really need to do is legalize, regulate, and test. But uh, in the meanwhile, if you smell some crazy mold or see some fungus on there, obviously you don't want to use that. By all means, if you're at a dispensary, ask them, hey, do you guys test for these kinds of things, and if they can't give you a straight answer, try to find another dispensary. When I was literally in college, everybody said, heat your oven up to 200 degrees, spread your cannabis out on a on a tray, put it in there, turn the oven off, and, and wait it out, sort of like the way we've been talking about decarboxylating, and that that was supposed to kill bacteria and fungus. I've been on Google Scholar uh, basically for the last hour since you sent me this link, and I think that may have just been an urban legend. So, so I honestly don't know if that's true or not. I got to admit, we relied on it quite a bit back in the eighties. 
if if you do have a a bad bud that's got some bud rot or mold or fungus, I mean, can you pick parts of it off and still, you know, like you do with a cheese that's got mold on it, you just cut the little mold part off. The rest of it's all right. Can you do that with cannabis? That, sadly, it's unlikely because if there's a, a a concentration that you can actually see, odds are high there's a comparable one that you can't see somewhere in that same bag. I, 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 I mean, the thought of throwing away pot, I know, is really hard on, on some of our listeners. But as, as uh, inexpensive as the, as the underground market has gotten, uh, I, I really feel like it's just not worth the risk. Okay. And um, let's go on to this next study because this is something, you know, we've uh, talked about glioma, a form of brain cancer in the past. And now it looks as though we're getting some studies in uh, showing that these cannabis oil treatments are helping patients with this type of brain cancer. Uh, what, are, what is the latest on this? So this was done by GW Pharmaceuticals. I do not uh, own that stock anymore, so I don't feel like I have to do my usual um, cautions about about that. I, I, I can say that they've been super good about uh, cannabis-oriented sprays, and uh, they're essentially getting a longer survival for this group that has a THC-CBD combination than uh, the placebo group, and it's you know it's 550 days versus 369 days. I realize it's not it's not like they're even twice as living twice as long or anything like that. But when you know when you're at the end of life like this, I feel like every day really counts. And I I uh, I always talk about effect sizes uh, interpreted with the dependent variable. And when the dependent variable is literally death, I would say this is uh, some compelling evidence despite the small sample size and, and what we usually think of as a small effect. Okay, and our final uh, study to look at today uh, has to do with youth and their use of cannabis, and it says that uh, if they wait until age 17, it may uh, help protect their developing brains. We've always heard uh, you know, the, the brain's developing until age 25. Is this rolling back that age, or is this something different? It just turns out this is a sort of a first step towards that. And if you can wait to 25, I think there are advantages that this data set simply could not uh, address. But the, the line at 18 we've had uh, from those old data on gray and white matter, uh, again, Stacy Gruper's lab has shown some comparable things. You definitely don't want heavy use early in life. And the later you wait to try, the better things really turn out. This study in particular, you also are noticing some of the deficits are on the sort of IQ tests that go with stuff you should have learned in school. So I'm afraid some of these were kids who may have been high at school and just never really encoded uh, some information that I think of as important that uh, I'm afraid your average person doesn't. And I want to emphasize this is at University of Montreal. This is a new data set. This is not just rehashing some of the old stuff that we've uh, talked about before. So uh, these are French-speaking kids. It's not uh, the Boston data or the stuff we've seen from Peter Fried in the the past. So I really do feel like the message to wait is one that we can say with some real relevance. 
Thank you, Dr. Mitch, and we'll speak to you again next time. As Dr. Mitch Earlywine recorded back in February of this year, we had to give Dr. Mitch a day off today, so uh, we went back to the vaults and got that one for you. Good information, and remember, you can always reach Dr. Mitch Earlywine privately if you've got some questions you don't want discussed on the air by emailing 420research at gmail.com. That's 420research at gmail.com going to take a break and when we come back we've got a radical rant where once again radical russ told you so governor chris christie when we return this is the russ belleville show on cannabisradio.com Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show. Right now, marijuana is listed by the federal government as a Schedule One drug. That is absurd. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. <coughs> or at least they aim you say that hey this is great man a public service message from the russ belleville show total war against public and public number one Ten federal criminal penalties for one ounce of marijuana marijuana is probably the most dangerous legalization is just another word for surrender i experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale this is not medicine this is a cheech and chong show encourage people to use less drugs i am ill that was that was the point i think we'd be a mistake to leave the state negative reports coming out of colorado don't smoke marijuana Yesterday in Tom Angel's excellent Marijuana Moment newsletter, I learned that the uh, Fat Man is back. The Penguin to my uh, Batman, that would be Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey, is back in the discussion here. We had uh, talked about him a lot uh, following the election of Donald Trump or even leading up to the election of Donald Trump. In fact, one of my radical rants on hightimes.com was consider Attorney General Chris Christie. And Chris Christie, of course, is one of the most vocal opponents to the legalization of marijuana. It was dropped on his desk the day before he got to become governor of New Jersey by the outgoing governor of New Jersey, John Corzine, who uh, signed it like in his last day at office, I think it was. And uh, Christie has not enjoyed having a medical marijuana program he thinks marijuana is a gateway drug it's uh inexorably leads to crime i mean really you couldn't get much difference between chris christie and attorney general jeff sessions other than crispy uh, christie being a little bit more vocal about it i would say 
But uh, Chris Christie has long been an opponent to marijuana legalization. He's an opponent to his state's uh, medical marijuana law. He's resisted all attempts to upgrade it, to expand it, to provide relief for more patients. He's just an awful, awful human being on the issue. Well, I learned in Tom Angel's newsletter yesterday that he's back because uh, while he's not the attorney general and he's not been tapped for the drug czar position, which is one I thought he might be tapped for, there is a special task force that he will be heading up on the opioid epidemic in America. That's right. New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is going to head up the task force to recommend to the federal government what it ought to do in response to the opiate epidemic. Now, I don't anticipate Governor Christie is going to look at the science and the reason and the patient stories and the most recent research on the issue to make his decisions. Because if he did, he would recognize that, hey, uh, we've got this study that shows that opiate overdoses are reduced by about a quarter in the states that have medical marijuana laws, that the opiate prescriptions by doctors are reduced by about 1,800 a year in the states that have medical marijuana laws, that we find less opiates in the bodies of fatal car crash victims in the states that have medical marijuana laws. We have fewer people checking themselves in to rehab for opiates in the states that have medical marijuana laws, and of course, fewer opiate overdoses. It's coming from all angles. It's becoming quite clear to anybody who wants to objectively look at the issue that if you want to deal with the opiate epidemic, a big tool in fighting that is to give people less addictive, less toxic, less problematic alternatives to those opiates. And cannabis is right there at the top of the list. And not just for the people who might be seeking these drugs uh, out of their dependence, but for people who really need them. There are people that have super severe pain issues who are never going to live another day without taking an opiate. My father is one of them. He takes seven different opiate pills a day just to live. But we're also realizing that there is an effect, that there's a sort of entourage effect that happens with cannabis and opiates. And that is the people that have to take the opiates can take fewer of them if they supplement with cannabis. The cannabis has a synergistic effect with the opiates. Cannabis is exceptionally good at neuropathic pain, which a lot of opiates don't touch. So if Chris Christie wants to be objective about this and follow the science and and be realistic here, then his recommendation back to the Trump administration should be leave the medical cannabis states alone, expand medical cannabis, remove cannabis from Schedule 1 in the uh, Controlled Substances Act. But you and I both know that's not what he's going to come back with. Chris Christie's an old school drug warrior. Chris Christie is going to come back with recommendations to clamp down on the growing tolerance of drug use, which they mean marijuana. He's going to come back with recommendations that suggest there's a gateway effect, that part of the problem is people having so much tolerance for marijuana that it's then naturally leading to the increase in the opiate epidemic. You can expect Chris Christie to ignore the massive increase 
in opiate production quotas that has been greenlit by the DEA's Office of Diversion Control since 1992 when Purdue Pharmaceuticals came up with their formulation for OxyContin. Was it 92 or 96? Mid-90s. Since that time, the federal government has allowed, because when you make a Schedule II drug or a Schedule III drug, these drugs on the schedules, especially the more dangerous ones, there is a production quota. The federal government only allows you to make so much. You just can't manufacture 16,000 tons of whatever and go sell it. You've got, you're limited. But the DEA has greenlit, basically rubber stamped these quota requests that come in from these manufacturers who promise these drugs are safer and less prone to abuse and are always proven wrong. They rubber stamp this to the effect where we have had 16 times the amount of opiate production in just the past 20 years. The United States of America consumes 80%, 80% of the pharmaceutical opiates in the world. Now, I don't believe that we're suffering that much more pain than people elsewhere. What we're suffering from is a corporatized, capitalized, profit-incentivized healthcare system and pharmaceutical system. Their natural desire is to want to hook as many people on their product as possible to get them to come back, to keep bringing the money back to the pharmaceutical company. We've seen it in the Insys case where, they, where they're accused of bribes and kickbacks to doctors to prescribe their pharmaceutical fentanyl off-label to people that don't have cancer pain, what it was meant for. Do you think we're going to see Chris Christie heading up this opioid task force, taking a look at that, taking a look at these pharmaceutical companies, most of whom are headquartered in New Jersey and pay New Jersey state taxes and he'll still be governor of New Jersey up until 2018? Probably the worst person you could appoint besides the cast of train spotting to head up a task force on the opiate epidemic is New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. So, I hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. I told people it mattered who they voted for in November. I told them that there was only two people who could possibly win, and the one who won is bringing us Jeff Sessions and Chris Christie. We get them both now. And for the folks in the investment side and folks that are still painting a rosy picture of how the next four years are going to transpire, what's it going to take? What's it going to take before you see enough writing on the wall to start planning for an inevitable crackdown? Now, it may not be a complete crackdown. It may not even be an effective crackdown. We may be, this horse may be too far out of the barn. Legalization is probably here to stay. It's in the Constitution in Colorado. It's going to be real hard to get it out of there. So this horse may be out of the barn. With California, such a big, big state, sixth largest economy in the world, it may be too late to stop it. But there's all sorts of ways they can gum it up. They can make it inefficient. They can make it more expensive than it needs to be. They can mess up a few people's lives along the way. What's it going to take? We appointed Jeff Sessions. Now we're getting Chris Christie. We continue to get 
signals from this administration that things are not going to be the status quo any longer, that they want to make America great again. And at least as far as Jeff Sessions is concerned, America was great from 1980 to 1992 when Nancy Reagan was appearing on television shows telling kids to just say no. When the U.S. government was paying television scriptwriters to incorporate anti-drug messages into child-friendly sitcoms. When we had the anti-drug PSAs, the advertising campaigns, Partnership for a Drug-Free America telling us our brains were like eggs in a frying pan. Ad campaigns that were proven later to not just be ineffective in stopping kids from using drugs, but actually cause some of the kids to use drugs more likely, more likely to have used drugs, developed a curiosity for it. The D.A.R.E. program, the Just Say No era, that's where Jeff Sessions wants to take us. And that's the kind of person Chris Christie is as well. Although he can't really say no to a donut or a pizza, he wants you to say no to weed. I don't know how else I can put it, and it's not like I'm rooting for any of these things to happen. In fact, I'm I'm rooting for me to be really, really wrong. I'm rooting for marijuana to take off and become legalized in more states in 2018, and the industry to take off, and the federal government to be toothless on the issue, and I want all that to happen. I've wanted all that to happen for the past dozen years. Not saying that The federal government can take us down. I'm saying they're going to try. For the first time in eight years, they're going to try. And how effective they may be could be determined by how prepared we are to respond. That's why I keep hammering away at this issue. I just want us to be prepared to fully respond to this and not be caught by, oh my gosh, I can't believe they actually did something. I can't believe they filed an injunction. I can't believe they sent a letter. I can't believe they sent a threat. Be ready for those things. They may not happen, but better to be prepared for them. Better to go into this hoping for the best, but prepared for the worst. That's all I'm saying over these past five or six months now is that things, there's a storm a coming. And I don't know if it's just going to be a little bit of a, little bit of a sprinkle or a hurricane, but a storm is coming. And so rather than, getting into the tank tops and the shorts and proclaiming that legalization is here to stay and getting your beach ball, maybe you also might want to pack a rain hat and a poncho and <laughs> an umbrella. I think we can make it. With, with Canada legalizing by 2018, with the news of the entire country of Canada in the summer legalizing marijuana, that will lead into our 2018 congressional elections, midterm elections, where... If Trump continues to be as bad as he's proven, there could be a massive swing to the Democratic Party. We could have things turn out quite well here. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of keeping our heads clear and not getting all caught up in our own success. Not being blown away by $7 billion industry. Understanding we're still tiny in the grand scheme of things and we still have some really big enemies medical pharmaceutical alcohol tobacco gaming private prisons private rehabs etc we'll keep fighting i'll keep bringing you the information you need to make that happen and to win these battles but right now we're done that's it that's all we got for hour one for you podcast listeners thanks for joining us and 
an assurance here. We are working hard. I got more details for you next week. In April, I can start telling you more about how to get Hour 2, how the VIPs are going to happen, and what's new for the Russ Bell Show. For everyone here at Delta 9 Studios, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. YouTube, stay tuned for Hour 2. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it.